Well, Romans chapter 9 now. We turn finally, after all the preliminaries, to it. Uh, But it seemed to me important to lay the foundations for understanding it. There are passages in this section that are just difficult for lots of folks to handle. And I take a fairly strong view on this passage, so um, just be ready. We'll we'll see how this goes. But uh, Romans chapter 9, again, by way of overview, uh, we've been in chapters 1 to 11 for some time now. I think this is the 45th (laughs) recording (laughs) that I'm making. Uh, The two sections of this passage, 116 to uh, uh, 1136, We've come, come through chapters 1 to 8, where Paul is arguing that uh, uh, the right relationship with God is by faith alone, that there can be no other way. And I want you to remember why he's doing this, because there are two groups in Rome who can't get along together, and so he's trying to reconcile them by teaching them the sinfulness of humanity first in chapters 1 to 3, and then the only status we can have with God is a right relationship through the work of Jesus, by means of uh, the the uh, faith that is um, is um, uh, required for salvation, so <clears throat> so right relationship with God comes by faith only. There is no other way. I think I mentioned to you in the past that I was teaching on Abraham in Memphis in in the uh, in the seminary in class. And I was talking, I was trying to, to set up the point that Abraham was righteous with God by grace, that it was not because of his obedience that he was right with God. And I went through a series of things that you can show in Abraham's life that indicated that he was a man of, of the same flesh we are with the same sin problems we have. And a lady in the back of the class slammed her Bible down on the table and she said, you mean to tell me that God made a sinner the father of the faithful? I said, well, there wasn't anybody else to have. <laughs> we forget, when we come to Romans 9, we forget chapters 1 to 3. Okay, So we'll, we may have to go back to chapters 1 to 3 again before we're done. But Paul started Romans with chapters 1 to 3. See, and since I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, I know great and wise things most people don't know. Then if you start a book with chapters 1 to 3, you probably need to know them in order to understand the rest of the book. Does that make sense? So uh, this is what we've come through. We're getting ready to go into a section that has widely been held to be a parenthesis in the book of Romans. I treated it that way myself for years. But it's an essential part of the argument for three reasons. The, the immediate reason is that Paul has said in verses 38 and 39 there's out of chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate people from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, and yet Israel is separated. So is there some hidden agenda God has? He offers hope with one hand, takes it away with the other, and the answer is no, there isn't. There's something else at work, and uh, he's going to have to address that in this in this passage. So the way he does it, come on, the way he does it, here's the basic question. Um, why didn't Israel accept Paul's gospel? And the answer that Paul gives comes in five steps. 
as he unfolds it in this passage. So let's look quickly at an overview of what's coming in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, the first step, this is not responding as quickly as usual. There, there are two other issues that he has to address, and I've got these slides out of order, I apologize. Salvation is not complete until the kingdom comes. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that Jesus is, is not simply Savior, he is King. And so, um, since he is king first of Israel and then of the world, then Israel must be saved. There must come a time of salvation for Israel. And thus, in chapter 11, he said, and, the, and in this way, all Israel shall be saved. For, for it is written, the Redeemer shall come from Zion. Are you with me here? Yeah. And then, th- then uh, one other reason is Romans eight thirty eight and 39 uh, some have been separated from God, and so we've got to address this issue. Um, now, the five-step argument, here it comes. This is the best I can do to put this together simply, okay? I, there probably are better ways, but this is the best I can do. How does Paul unfold his thought? Well, first, in 9.1 to 29, he says, God has hardened unbelieving Israel. That's hard for us to think about God hardening people. We'll have to talk about what hardening means shortly. Um, But God hardens people. The text of Scripture doesn't say it a lot, but it does say it enough to know that it happens. Second step in the argument is Israel rejected God's righteousness. You see, God's hardening is not a... um, is not an act by which he takes marvelous good people and makes them wicked. He Remember chapters 1 to 3? You already forgot it, didn't you? <laughs> In 1 to 3, there is none. Not even one? But what about Mike's new grandbaby? Not righteous. Born with fists clenched. <laughs> um, of course, they can't. They can't have their hands open, right? Because, but, but I heard of a, a, a uh, an obstetrician once who said he thought that was parabolic. That we're all born with our fins, fists clenched, like we're ready to fight. And you've heard a mad baby, an angry baby, yes? Yeah. How'd they learn that? Where did this all come from? Destruction and bitterness are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known, Paul says in Romans 3. That's not them out there, that's me. (laughs) Yes? Third step in the, pardon? Utterly selfish. selfish. A newborn has to be, because the child has no other way to express its needs than by utter selfishness. But I'm, I hope maybe I'm growing out of some of that, finally. Third step in the argument. But God preserved a remnant by grace. So in, in 10, 1 to 10, I'm sorry, in 11, 1 to 10, uh, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And then Paul says, and the rest were hardened. 
Um, and then fourth, 11, 11 to 24, God gave the promises to Gentiles through faith. And, and then fifth, by that means, he intends to stir Israel up to jealousy so that they will seek their own promises. And then there is a closing doxology, adoration of God's wisdom. Oh, the, oh the, the, the depth of the wisdom, both of the, I'm sorry, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, if I were trying to reach Albania, but took all gospel witness away from Albania, how would I think anyone would ever be saved? If I took all the promises away from Albania, how would I think anyone in Albania would ever be saved? And yet this is God's practice. This is God's purpose. Uh, so here's where we're headed. There's some hard stuff here. Fred? Jim, just a quick, will these charts be in your Romans commentary coming out? Um, I, uh, probably not. Uh, they're, they're there, yes. The, the, the outline is there. Uh, by the way, it looks like this thing's actually going to happen. I just got an email. Uh, in fact, I got several emails. We are comp- we have finished editing the book, um, and now they're they're beginning to typeset it. <laughs> and uh, the goal is to have it out in November. So, I'm it's coming a lot quicker than I thought. There, it will be initially offered by way of Amazon through uh, print on demand. Um, but eventually it will be a Kindle book, so uh, um, I'm, I'm getting emails from the publisher now. I've been getting emails from the editor, but now I'm getting it from the publisher, and so things are getting serious. It looks like this will be in there. Yes, the whole outline is, is in that book. It, it will be slightly rearranged for a variety of reasons, but uh, this, this is all there. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is a strange. Uh, no, the title is not. I'm not sure. It's I'm. I'm not sure what the title is. Uh, um, yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, I will. I will try to solve that problem before, at some point. Daryl. <laughs> no, I think the title must be All Roads Lead to Romans. Right. So. <laughs> but, uh, uh, they're, they're, now they're struggling on what the subtitle is going to be, but I'm not worried about that. Um, yeah, it is. Come on. Yes, yeah. Uh, so we start with if 9, 9 1 to 29. Uh, Curtis? I was just looking at uh, the New Living in the 38th verse. It said nothing can separate us from God's love. Yeah. So my question is, Israel was separated, <laughs> but they were not separated from his love. Well, yes, they were. Um, uh, what we talked about in Hosea, for example, they certainly are. You've you got to read Hosea two, uh, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. So he says, you are not beloved in chapter 1. But then he promises a time when they will be. But right now, they're not. So uh, turn to Hosea. Okay, well, Kurt. In ESV, it says nothing in God's creation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not well, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's not quite the same idea. 
Um, but it's, it's there. Look at Hosea chapter 3. Turn to Daniel. It's the, it's the next book to the right of Daniel. So uh, it's a minor prophet, but it's the first of the minor prophets, so it's not hard to find. <coughs> Hosea chapter 3. We read the four verses of the chapter here. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and, an, and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Don't eat raisin cakes. But these were <laughs> sacrificial gifts to the gods. So I bought her for 15 shekels. You, when, you, when you had a, a slave who was gored and killed by an ox, the owner of the ox paid 30 shekels. He's paying 15 shekels uh, of silver and five bushels of barley. Barley is the cheapest grain. It's the, it's the food of the poor. This is, this is really a low price. I said to her, you must live with me many days. Don't be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same toward you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and his goodness in the last days. But they live with the Lord, but separate. Since the days of Hosea, 8th century B.C. This is hard, folks. It's hard. So, they are loved, but not experiencing the love of God. So, chapter 9. God has hardened unbelieving Israel. The section now... Uh, develops along these lines Paul longs to see salvation for his Israelite kinsmen it's astonishing Paul has been accused of anti-Semitism but hear what Paul says I speak the truth in Christ I'm not lying my own conscience bearing testimony to me in the Holy Spirit that I have uh, great grief and unceasing grief, unceasing travail in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from God for the sake of, uh, uh, of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is, he, is like Paul, he is like Moses in this, in this particular place. Remember, God told Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to wipe them out and I'll make of you a great nation. And Moses, um, the reason I think God did this, folks, was to reveal what a redeemer would be like and what a true Israel, a, a true leader in Israel would look like. A true leader will lay down his life for the people. So Moses becomes a type, is, he already was a type of Christ anyway, but Moses is peculiarly shown on the mountain there as a type of Christ. This is what a leader will do. Moses says... Blot, blot me out of your book. Um, Paul says somewhat the same thing. If it would do them any good, if it would bring them to Christ, I would go to hell for eternity for them. That's what Jesus did. He bore the, the wrath of God for them. 
And then he starts unfolding their privileges in verses 4 and 5. These are Israelites. Theirs is the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service and the promises. And by the way, do you note and the, and the, and the? Yes? You see that? Is, does your Bible have that? That's, called, that's a figure of, of rhetoric called polysyndeton, P-O-L-Y-S-Y-N-D-E-T-O-N, polysyndeton. It means there are way more uh, conjunctions than you need. And when you have that in the text, except in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> all lists in Revelation have, have, have this characteristic. But where you have that, uh, it's, it's a sign. The author wants you to stop and consider. What does it mean to have... Uh, the, uh, uh, the the adoption. They were the first people group in history adopted as the people of God. They were the first people group to see the glory of God. They have the covenants. Folks, uh, if you read Hebrews and, and read about the new covenant, it's their covenant. It's not ours. It's theirs. Behold, I will make with the house of Judah, with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, a new covenant. I'm, I'm, I, I don't come from one of the tribes. Oh, I do, Cherokee, but not, not one of the Israelite tribes. That was a joke. I was hoping you would respond better to that than you're doing. It's a good thing you don't get grades; you would not pass. But <laughs> one of my rules in class: you have to laugh at the jokes. Second rule is they don't have to be funny. You just have to know I think they are, and so I want I want laughter, and I want some reasonable uh, uh, approximation of actual laughter. But uh, uh, but it's it's their covenant. It's not ours, and they should be getting the promises of the of the new covenant. We should not. We should get it through them. We sh- they shouldn't be getting it through us. And theirs is the giving of the law. Paul's, Paul asked, do you not recall this back in chapter 3? Is there any advantage in the law? Is there, there any profit in being a Jew? And he said, much in every way. He didn't, he didn't really start developing it, and now he develops it. What are the advantages? Uh, and the service and the promises. And theirs are the fathers. And from them came Christ according to the flesh. May I read it a little differently? And no, no first century Roman would have read it, Christ according to the flesh. They would have read the anointed one, the, the Messiah according to the flesh. Their, Jesus is their Messiah, not ours, except derivatively as, as we relate to God through the seed of Abraham. Um, and then he makes a statement about the Messiah who is God uh, over all, blessed forever. Amen. <laughs> a strong statement about the deity of Jesus. <laughs> so these are, the, these are the people whom God has set to the side for your sake. Thus he says back in Romans 1, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Yes? So this, Paul is not looking at these people as hated people. They are beloved for all the benefits, for all of the blessings God has conferred upon them. But 
things have not worked well with Israel. So um, that was supposed to work differently. Uh, so in every generation of Israel, God has made a distinction between the seed of promise chosen by grace and the seed of the flesh. So this takes us down through uh, verse 13, verse 6. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are of Israel are Israel. Nor is it that all the children are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now we've got problems in verses 6 and 7. Problems that have existed for hundreds of years, and I've got to deal with them here. Look there in verse uh, 6. Not all who are of Israel are Israel. Yes? Are you with me here? All right. Um, what does that mean? Does that mean there are some Gentiles who are Israel? And the answer is no, not if you think carefully about what this text is saying. There is a man named Israel. You remember him? What's his other name? Jacob. Not all of his children are Israel. Okay. Now, how do we know that? Well, Paul's going to give us a series of generations to look at. In each, in each generation, he will ask, are all the sons of Abraham the seed? No. Are all the sons of Isaac the seed? No. Then why do you think all the sons of Jacob are the seed? Um, as in the days of Jesus, as in the days of Paul, look, look over in uh, chapter uh, 11 for a moment. Um, verse 1. So I say, God has not cast off his people, has he? What does that has he imply? He is not. Um, of course not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast off his people whom he foreknew. Are you with me? So, uh, uh, Paul himself is part of the seed, the, the true Israel. Does that mean that you and I are Israel? Well, we're back in chapter 4, he said we're children of Abraham. Doesn't that make us Israel? The children of faith were adopted, yes, but doesn't that make us Israel? No, because Abraham wasn't an Israelite. Abraham was not a Jew. It's hard for people to get that straight. The word Jew doesn't even apply in the Old Testament until after the days of the exile in the, uh, in the 6th century B.C. Because the people who returned to Judah were Judah. Okay? Were the people of Judah. Are you with me here? So the word Jew comes from Judah. Only descendants of Judah <laughs> or People who lived in the territory of Judah were the, the Hayyahudim, the, the Jews. Are you with me here? So the Greek word, Eudaios, is a descendant of Judah or somebody who lives in Judah. Yes? Abraham can't be a Jew because he's not a descendant of Judah. So far, so good? Isaac is not a Jew. Isaac is not an Israelite. 
Only the descendants of Jacob are Israelites. Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, left foot, left, right foot. Uh, uh, Father Abraham does have many sons because all who are people of faith are children of Abraham. But when we're talking about Israel, we're talking about children of, J- of Abraham by Isaac and Jacob. But just as, as we shall see in this passage, just as Isaac is chosen over Ishmael, yes, and Esau is taken, I'm sorry, Jacob is chosen over Esau, then I, I should not assume that that selection has stopped in the, in the uh, generations of Israel since the days of Jacob. That there are children of the flesh and children of the seed. Turn to John chapter 8. Speaking to Pharisees here. <clears throat> Verse 44, he says to Pharisees who kept the law of Moses according to their lights, you are of your father, uh, it's Abraham. Amen? You're such the devil? Well, Pharisees thought they were the sons of Abraham. But being descended from Abraham does not make you necessarily or Isaac, or Jacob. They didn't, being descended with that genealogy does not make you necessarily rightly related to God. Yes or no? Right? So even within the days, even within the first century, there is a distinction between what Paul will shortly call the children of the flesh and the children of the the promise. So let's go back to Romans 9 and verse uh, 7. So within Israel, there is a true Israel. This idea already began to develop in the book of Isaiah in the 8th century B.C. Uh, in the eighth, so 900 years before Paul is writing, Isaiah is already saying these things, that there is a remnant. Um, Isaiah chapter 7, is that right? Isaiah chapter uh, 6. No, seven. Um, do you remember that? Do you remember Isaiah seven at all? Move your heads. You know the great prophecy of the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Yes. Turn turn to Isaiah seven just a moment. Yeah, but I want to look at the early part of the chapter. Um, in Isaiah seven, verse one, Isaiah is told by the Lord to go to the water gate. Everybody got accept, excited about that back in the early seventies. <laughs> uh, um, well, uh, so uh, Isaiah seven one. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of uh, Uzziah, king of Judah. Ritzin, king of Aram, along with Pekach, the son of Remaliah, king of of Israel, waged war against Jerusalem, but he could not succeed. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the hearts of the people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. 
Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, please say, Sha'ar, Sha'ar, no, 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 say it slowly, Sha'ar, Yashuv. In Hebrew, that means a remnant will return. I think this is the first mention of the remnant in Isaiah. There is a remnant whom God will redeem from the judgment that's coming from the, from the Assyrians. Ultimately, in the latter part of the chapter, he will talk about Assyria coming and judging the city of Jerusalem. So it's the beginning of a remnant doctrine. Yes, sir. Are the people of the promise, the Israelites of the promise, are, are they what we call elect? We're going to get there. Sufficient to the day are the evils thereof. <laughs> so back to Romans uh, 9. So verse, so verse 6, within Israel there's a remnant of those whom God is preserving for himself. He will return to this idea in Romans 11 where he mentions the remnant. And then he says, even in the days of, of, of Elijah, God said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. You remember this? There's a remnant. God has always kept a remnant in Israel. So verse, pardon? Okay, verse 7. So it's not that, that um, uh, all the children are seed of Abraham, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, not the children of the flesh are the children of God, but the children of the promise are considered as seed. Uh, for um, this is the word of the promise. At this time next year, I will come and Sarah will have a son. Remember, that is from Genesis chapter 18, where <laughs> Abraham, and, Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is an 89-year-old barren woman. <sighs> huh? And he already had a son. Chapter 16, he had, he had uh, Ishmael. But it's not the child of the flesh. In chapter 16, he was only 78. Just a spring chicken. Yes. But he's 99 in chapter 18. This, why does God make them wait 24 years after getting the promise to, to have it fulfilled? In part, so that no one would think, well, Abraham was just a peculiarly virile man. No, he wasn't. He was 99. Okay. So, back here to verse 8. The children of the flesh, they are not the children of God, but the children of the promise. So anyone, he said the same thing in Galatians, by the way, in chapter 4. The, the, the uh, son of the bondwoman persecuted the, the son of the free. Do you remember this in Galatians 4? And what does the, what does the oracle say? Uh, cast out the bondwoman and her son for the... the, uh, uh, the uh, son of the bondwoman shall not inherit. Uh, so, as it was in Abraham's day, Paul says in Galatians' day, then same, various, uh, virtually the same time period as Romans. It's five or six years earlier, but it's it's so close as to be the same time period. In the same way, the Judaizers were persecuting those who believed in salvation by grace through faith. Okay, so within Israel, as, as long as anyone holds on to salvation by means of getting the blessing of God, by means of my obedience, 
Do, do you not remember the parable Jesus told about the, the, the uh, Pharisee and the publican? Yes, no? I know you do, don't you? What did the publican, what did the Pharisee say? Yeah, I tithe uh, of everything that I have and I fast twice a week, which is not even commanded. So he's going beyond the commandments of the law, more righteous than God is. And earning the blessing of God. Yes? So, uh, only the children of the promise are the, are the children of Abraham. Verse 9, for this is the word of the promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. Then, verses 10 to 13. Not only so. That was true in the days of Abraham. But look, Abraham's children, you could, you could make the case that Abraham's son Ishmael is excluded from the promise because he's not, in fact, a, a son of the same status as Isaac. Isaac is, after all, the son of the true wife, of the full wife. In a polygamous society, you always stipulate the status of any woman that's added to the family uh, by marriage. So uh, Sarah, her name, Sarah, do you know what it means in Hebrew? Princess. Princess. So if she, she is a high-status woman, she is given status of a full wife. Any other woman that Abraham might marry who would have the same status would be on equal footing with Sarah. But who is Hagar? Oh, make, you say the nice, clean word. Say the, say the mean word. Slave. slave. She's a slave. She is given the status of a concubine. So she is a true wife. A concubine is not... A uh, is not a prostitute. She's a true wife, but her children don't have the rights of inheritance. So of course the inheritance would go to Isaac. So you could you could reason that way in this case. But when we turn to verse ten, things change. Not only so, but also Rebecca, uh, being pregnant from one man, Isaac our father. For when the uh, the children had. had um, I mean, I've lost, lost track of things here. Uh, when the children had not yet been born and had not yet done anything good or bad, in order that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Um, not by works, nor by, uh, but by him who called, it was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. Was there something... Morally, spiritually distinctive about Jacob that made him a better choice than Esau? <laughs> Isaac didn't think so. Because you remember that Isaac had Esau as his favorite. Esau was kind of a dullard, frankly. He just... When he, when he sold the birthright to Jacob... Folks, he was hungry, but if one bowl of stew is going to save you from death, you're not that near death. Yes? And he sold his birthright. That's a double portion of the father's inheritance. And he sold it for a bowl of stew. He, he did not value what's valuable. He had no value. 
value system that could see what was so worthwhile that, he, that it would be better to forego this to get that. And so, so uh, Jacob, who was a manipulative, exploitive kind of man, knew his brother and made savory soup for him when he came in from, from finding Yeah, okay. Blessing, yeah, birthright is his by, by virtue of being born first. Blessing is what God is giving. Uh, they are related, but they're not identical. So you can get the birthright, but not the blessing. I want you to remember in Jacob's 12 sons, y- yes? Um, one got rule, and another got the double portion of the inheritance. Are you aware of this? Move your heads. Um, Ephraim, is it Ephraim, Manasseh, got the double portion of, Joseph got the double portion of the inheritance. And th- there is no tribe of Joseph, right? Why isn't there? Yeah, Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons, are made tribes. We, so we've got all kinds of, how do you get 12 sons of, eight, of, of Jacob out of 13? Uh, but anyway, we having left that aside, we'll move on. But the, the larger issue is Joseph got the birthright. Judah got the rule. Are you with me here? So they're, they're, they're not identical completely. They're, they're, they're related but not identical. So Jacob is promised the blessing, but he wanted the birthright too. So he, che- he cheated his brother and his father and lied and what is there so good about Jacob? God looked down through history to see what Jacob could become. A cheat and a liar. <laughs> and then a complainer. Uh, before Genesis 32, when he meets the Lord at, at Peniel, do you remember the story wrestling at, at the river Peniel? Uh, before Genesis 32, he thinks he can manipulate and, and control anybody if I just tell him well enough They'll believe me and they'll do exactly what I want them to do. Till he gets to Haran and Laban starts doing that to him. Once you start living your life by deceit, you lose your capacity to tell the difference between truth and error. And And so now he's being manipulated by everybody. But when he comes into the land hobbling on on a crutch because his leg's been put out of of joint uh, in the wrestling match, his self-sufficiency is broken, and almost, it's not quite true, but it's almost true that everything you hear him say from there to, to chapter 48 is about how, how bad his life is and how everybody's against him. I don't like Gen- Jacob before chapter 32. Um, James Montgomery Boyce, not James Montgomery Boyce, who was pastor of 10th Presbyterian back in the 50s, um, can't think. You'd know his name. Barnhouse. Barnhouse. Yeah, Donald Gray Barnhouse. Oh, of course. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, God couldn't let sinners into heaven. They'd pick the angels' pockets. (laughs) Jacob, if Jacob had come before Genesis 32 into heaven, he'd be trying to manipulate the angels into a game of chance. But after Genesis 32, he's a whiner and a complainer. Which one do you like better? The cheat and the liar you like better. They're, they're, they're more likable, typically. 
until you're cheated and lied to. Yes, <laughs> after that, they're not likable. So, so did Jacob become this wonderful, godly man? In, Gen- in Hebrews 11, when you tell the stories of the great stories of faith, and you name the great people of faith, you get uh, you get uh, Enoch, and you get Noah, and you get Abraham, and you get uh, Isaac, and you get Jacob. But only one thing that he blessed his sons on his uh, on his uh, deathbed. It's not that Jacob had no other faith. He was a man of faith. But Jacob was not better than Esau. Esau can't keep anything in his mind long enough to actually carry things out. He and his dad are, are really out of the same bolt of cloth. When, when Jacob came in and, and imitated, we, we talked about this, imitated the hands of Jacob, of Esau, he can't figure out what you can figure out in just an instant. Why, what, what possible motive would Esau have to imitate the voice of Jacob? None. What possible motive would Jacob have to imitate the hands of, of Esau? Everything. You figured that out in an instant. Isaac couldn't figure that out until Esau came in later. Neither one of them are among the bigger watts, uh, wattage uh, bulbs in the family <laughs> Christmas tree. Uh, um, so, so, so did Rebecca understand this? She's undoubtedly. The, she, she's the one that laid this all out. Oh, she's a smart cookie. Uh, Jacob is a, is a chip off of her block, not off of Isaac's block. Um, there doesn't seem to be much to indicate Rebecca's faith. Not much. And notice that she's not mentioned in Hebrews. I don't know whether, what to make of that quite. But, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. Maybe so. But God spoke through Balaam's donkey, too, so I mean, <laughs> quite, quite to <laughs> Yeah, Glenn. Glenn. Oh, that was, uh, that was um, uh, Rachel, not Rebecca. So we haven't gotten to Rachel yet. So. <laughs> so when the boys had not yet been born, hadn't done anything good or bad, in order that the purpose of God by election... Might, st- might remain, um, not of works, but of him who called, it was said to her, uh, the elder shall serve the younger. Uh, as it is written, I have loved Jacob, and I have he- hated Esau. I think I would have said, uh, maybe Esau was actually kind of likable. He was kind of a redneck kind of a guy, good old boy, you know. Um, by the way, Jacob probably was not a homeboy. He was probably a complete man. He, he, was, he was strong. Remember, he removed the stone from the well to get the, the water. Why did he do that? Because there was a pretty girl there. Okay? That, that will always, every time a pretty girl was walking down our street growing up and I was playing football outside, I tried to throw the ball and it always wobbled terribly. It was terrible. I never did uh, achieve anything by that. <laughs> um, the, 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 the issue for us is God made a choice between two 
bad options. One who had no value for anything that was valuable. The other who valued things but went about the wrong way to get them. At least Jacob valued what was, what was worthwhile. Yes? But he went about it the wrong way to get it. So God made a choice. So what was it humanly? Nothing. What was it humanly? There is none righteous, no, not one. You mean Esau? Yeah. But I also mean Jacob. So when you have bad choices, but you, your plan has locked you in to making bad choices, you make the bad choices and make the best of them that you can. God's plan has been that through the heirs of Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Yes or no? And if it's going to be through the heirs of Abraham, he only has six. Uh, well, four plus 12, right? Five. So five. I'll get it right in a minute. Four plus 12. He's only got 16. And in the first two generations, he only has two in each generation. And God chooses Isaac, not because Isaac is so much better than Ish- Ishmael, but because it's God's choice. Why does he choose Jacob? Because it's God's choice. Folks, how many people do you know that you count as friends? And the answer is hard to answer, to give, isn't it? Um, 25, 30, 40, 100, maybe? Um, well, by friends, I'm using it in the loose term, that we, in the loose sense that we do as Americans. Acquaintances. How many of them do you give Christmas presents to? A few, if any. Um, we, we think we can give our presents to whom we please. And we don't think we're unjust. Right? But God has to give his presents to everybody equally. Or he's unjust. Or maybe my concept of justice is flawed. Are you with me? Maybe I need, because there is none righteous, no, not one, that includes me apart from the work of the Spirit. There is none who seeks God. There is none who understands. That includes me apart from the Holy Spirit. And maybe a person who has this heritage might need to submit to the revelation of the Word of God as as to what justice is, what fairness is. I don't have the right to define fairness. That was the problem back in the garden. And we have continued that sin right down to this very day. Because God alone has to be just according to human standards. But we don't. I don't give my gifts to everyone equally. Why must God? To be fair and just. I think before we start talking about fairness and justice, we may have to redefine our own concepts and, in fact, bring ourselves under the submission to the Word of God. Yeah, brother. That's the problem. If you want justice, you can have justice, but it's everlasting torment away from the presence of God. If you don't want justice, then you have to have grace. And if you're going to get grace, you're going to have to let God define things. So verse 14, where are we on time? 
Um, um, verse 14 to 18, this is the really hard passage. In fact, it's going to be hard from, from here through the next, uh, the next section. It's going to be tough, so hang in there. Don't, don't give up, bail out. But God is perfectly just in sovereignly dispensing his own compassion as he wills. One of our children um, was, was one of those really conscientious kids who, if you said, um, if, if you said A, she asked, is it A or a capital A or lowercase A? I want to do exactly what you want. Which, which one do you want? The other one was just laid back. Just took life easy. And when the, the, the first one was, was dating, I never set any kind of curfew for her because I didn't need to. She was generally pretty wise. There was one period in dating where she uh, uh, was doing some things that were unwise, and I said, look, you know, I know you're in the, in the house and, and down in the, in the living room, but I said, staying so late can, can lead to some dangerous things. She cut it off right away. The other one said, how come I have a curfew? Because <laughs> I can't trust you. She came in at 4 o'clock one morning. Her, 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 the guy she was out with, her, his parents were knocking at the door at 3 a.m., I didn't even know she wasn't home. And I said, where, where are they? I had no idea. And, and so we all were sitting around waiting for them to come in. They finally came in. Oh, we've been down just around the, the corner from our house was a school, play yard, playground. And they'd been down there sitting on the swings praying. And I think that child didn't lie to me. She just laid back. And so I said, well, we're not going to stay out till four anymore. <laughs> Are you praying or praying? Praying, praying. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the, 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 the guy, the, the, the mother of the guy she was dating was the Awana director for the city of Memphis. <laughs> so praying, yeah, I imagine that's exactly what they were doing. It's just, she wasn't wise. Was I unjust? You gave her a law. I gave her a law because she was a, a, a lawbreaker. Uh, uh, was I unjust in giving one standard to one child and another standard to, to a different child? No. Because I was trying to deal with the child according to the standard of the child. Uh, yeah. Can we say, if Paul's from the tribe of Benjamin, uh -huh. Paul's not part of the seed. Of course he is. Judah's the seed. Judah has the blessing. But, but all the tribes have the blessing, too. Genesis 48, everybody gets a blessing. But the, I was trying to distinguish between the blessing and the birthright. But the seed is anybody of faith. Any, any Israelite of faith is the seed of the promise. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out why God chose Paul. I mean, it, why, did show, why did God choose? Look, folks, there's a section of Acts, and it's almost time to stop. Turn, turn to Acts just a moment. Um, where is Herod's um, persecution in Acts? Um, 11? No. Um, no. In Acts. 8? Thank you. Um, in chapter 8, you have two persecutors. 
in, in chapters 8 and 9. You have Herod the persecutor and Paul the persecutor. By the time this section ends, the two persecutors are no longer persecutors. What happens? Actually, it's earlier than that. Chapter, uh, where does Paul? Paul's persecution begins in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7. Uh, but in, in 8 and 9 and 10, uh, you have um, two persecutors, one Herod, one Saul. What happens to Herod? He dies under the judgment of God. What happens to Saul? He's converted. God is taking the same kind of man, in, in each case, a, a persecutor. One he judges and the other he saves. To show, folks, ultimately, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks God. They have together become useless. Yes? And I'll remind you that in Romans, 1, uh, Romans 3, 10 to 18, Paul thinks he's talking about Israel. And if that's true of Israel, it's true of every human being. It's true of all of us. We are equally condemned. Peter will say... Um, this, this, the righteous are scarcely saved. That's, a, that's an odd statement. How easily might God have passed by me for somebody else? And yet he set his hand on a boy from Britain, Oklahoma, a town you've never even heard of because it doesn't exist anymore. From Britain, Oklahoma, Britain Elementary School our, 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 our uh, little league team was the Britain Squirrels. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? <laughs> kind of tells you where things were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he took such a child and, and gave, gave me the privilege of being a Bible teacher for all these years. Why did he do that? Out of sheer grace. I've got buddies I've grown up, I grew up with, who are away from the Lord entirely. He could have passed by me and taken them. But in his mercy, he has chosen us. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Consider your, brother, your calling, brothers, that there are not many wise, not many powerful, not many well-born, for God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So here I am, one of the foolish things of the world. And that must be what we start reveling in. You see, Israel hasn't gotten to that point yet. We were in um, on the mountain, and with this I'll stop. We were on um, Mount, uh, Mount uh, Elon Moreh, uh, north of Jerusalem, in what was then... Uh, the tribal area of Ephraim. And uh, um, our guide said, uh, what did God give Israel? Israel. And uh, the people said, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, if you look out from there, all you can see is rocks. He said, oh, God gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the land. What did he give us? Nothing. 
with our minds, we have made it a land flowing with milk and honey. Somebody asked, will you ever have peace? He said, no, we will never have peace. And I thought, I thought yes, you will, because you'll get the minister of Satan who will give you peace on the terms that you want, but then it will mean judgment. And until, as, as Deuteronomy 32 says, until Israel comes to the place where there is no one left, either strong or uh, either, either bond or free, and there is no one to help, then God will arise and, and go to work for Israel. As long as they're confident in their military, as long as they're confident in their economy, as long as they're confident in their minds. Sounds like America? There is no hope. It's when we break our confidence in those things. Break even our confidence in our right to define what justice is. That we are free to become um, the children of the promise. We'll pick up at this point in Romans next week. Lord willing. So let's close with prayer. Father, it hurts to break our confidence. I don't like it. I don't want any more of it. But how shall I live before you with any confidence in myself? How shall I know the power that you have in the Spirit? How shall I know your forgiveness, your, um, your love, as long as I am confident in myself? How shall I know what it is to be an heir of the universe unless I have broken all the confidence in myself, all the achievements, all the attainments that I have are worthless. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? So, Father, um, as much as it hurts, as gently as you can, break us of our confidence. And remind us that as long as we are confident in ourselves, we cannot receive one another as Christ received us for the glory of God. So keep us before you. Keep our eyes on you. Turn us, turn us away from the world. That's where our great hope is. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.